This episode is brought to you by the new ASIAL Go app, free and exclusive to ASIAL members. Find the latest industry news, updates, events, publications, resources, and much more. Simply go to your app store and search for ASIAL Go to install. In this episode of the ASIAL Security Insider podcast, we are talking about why the security industry needs diversity and inclusion, and perhaps more importantly, how to get started in your organization. Our guest today is Aaron Lopez. Aaron joined HID after 10 years at the Make-A-Wish Foundation, where he worked to recruit, retain, and engage a diverse workforce reflective of the communities they served. Aaron, welcome to the podcast, and thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an important topic. I'm always happy to talk about it. So tell us, before we get into diversity and inclusion and the importance of those in the workplace, tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to HID. So I'm relatively new to HID. I've been there for about a year. And it's in the security industry, it's a, it's a new space for me. Before that, I was at the Make-A-Wish Foundation. And I do know you have a Make-A-Wish Australia that I, I, I know about. Uh, I've worked with them in the past. And uh, so I was at Make-A-Wish for 10 years. And I was really helping to ensure that they were diversifying their, their workforces, diversifying their volunteers, and, and really helping to lead the way as far as ensuring that we were granting wishes for every eligible child. And so, so I am accustomed to um, working with diverse communities. Uh, prior to that, I was in the financial services industry where I um, helped folks in the community access banking. And so it's, uh, it, it's near and dear to my heart. And I'm very happy to, to be here discussing this. So thanks for, for putting a spotlight on this. No, our pleasure. Now, I think diversity and inclusion is one of those interesting things from the point of view of, um, especially for small to medium-sized businesses that haven't necessarily tackled this before, they might not necessarily have the right concept around what diversity and inclusion means. So can you perhaps go through and tell us a little bit about, from your point of view about what those two terms mean? Because it doesn't necessarily mean going out and force hiring a bunch of people that I don't need uh, rather than people that I do need or whatever people might think. You're absolutely right. It is not just about filling quotas or checking boxes. And and when we just look at the terms and what they mean, you know, from a dictionary standpoint, you know, diversity is the condition of having or being composed of differing characteristics or viewpoints. It basically means variety. So in, inclusion is the act or the practice of including. So everyone is equally visible, everyone is heard, and everyone is equally considered. Their perspectives are considered. So, so it's really important that we understand those before we, we get into conversations about it. Diversity or inclusion, diversity and inclusion are not about changing someone's beliefs. It's not about um, changing, you know, what it is that you, you believe politically or you believe that you were raised, you know, to believe. It's not about that. This is about recognizing that we already have a variety of people who work in our organizations. How do we make sure that all of those people are equally heard and considered and visible? And how do we get along as far as having those different perspectives around the same table? So, so that's what really what we're discussing here. I'm not trying to have somebody come, um, you know, to where I am as far as my journey and what I believe. I'm trying to meet people where they are and, and see how we can all work together to make our companies better, to make our companies more innovative, and to make our companies stronger. Sure. So 
I guess one of the first questions that I'd like to address is that there has been huge change in this space in the last 10 years predominantly where we're seeing a lot more around the LGBTQTI plus community. We're seeing a lot more um, around women's equality and rights. And I know that's something that's been going on since the 70s, but it's becoming more pronounced to the point where people who aren't necessarily bad people, they just haven't thought these things through to the same level, start to develop an eye roll every time these questions come up. It's like, oh, here we go again. How do we get past the eye roll and actually start talking seriously about, no, no, I understand why you feel that way, but this is why this is important for your organization. Well, so so there's two parts to that question is, is why is it important to the organizations? And so when we talk about organizations who put an emphasis on diversity and inclusion and ensure everybody feels included and that they belong, they are 35% more likely to outperform their competitors. They are 36% more profitable than their competitors who um, who do not practice diversity and inclusion and do, do not have this. They show that, that companies with high diversity and inclusion um, are 101 or I'm sorry 83% more innovative than companies that do not practice any type of diversity inclusion so when you look at it from a business case standpoint the health of our company if you care about your company you care about your industry you want these these concepts to be just part of your culture and rooted in everything that you do and so the other part of it is is what about the eye roll when we talk about these things and what I would say to that is what about it angers you so much? What about it is so negative to you that, um, you know, that, that this is, is just not, it doesn't take anything away from you at all. It's actually helping you to do your job. It's helping your company to do your job and, and, and to meet you and, and to meet your needs and, and the needs of the employees. So I think that that's, we really need to ask ourselves, why does this, um, you know, kind of rub me the wrong way? Why does this have a negative connotation for me? Um, I used an analogy earlier today that somebody, you know, has a lit candle and when you pass that, that, you know, you light someone else's candle, it doesn't dim your shine at all. But what you're doing is you're illuminating somebody else's world. So, so that's what I would ask is, is what does it take away from you to, to embrace this? I also think there's an element though of, um, I'm not, you're right about the anger piece, but I'm not sure it's always anger. I think sometimes people just haven't thought it through. And I'll give you an example. We did a podcast recently um, with a group of women in the industry talking about what was it that was important from their perspective for organizations to discuss. And one of the women turned around and said it was really important from her point of view uh, for organizations to give husbands just as much time off as wives when it comes to raising things like children. And to when the husband says, I need to go and pick the kids up from soccer or I need to take time off to look after my children because they're sick, to treat that exactly the same way that they would if a wife uh, said that. Because really, why should it always be the woman's perspective? And to me, that was one of those sort of duh moments where I'd never really thought about that before, but it's all of a sudden it made sense. And it's like, yeah, that's a really good point. So how do, how do we create those light bulb or crucible moments around diversity and inclusion? 
Yeah, you're exactly right. This is, again, this is not about taking away from anybody. This is, you know, it, it's, we recently celebrated International Women's Day. And uh, one of the emails I got was, well, when are we celebrating International Men's Day? Well, haven't we and, been doing that for about uh, 500 years? <laughs> you would think we were. And, and, but the thing is, is there is actually an International Men's Day in November. And what that day focuses on, you know, is, is men's mental health, their well-being, and, and recognizing their value, you know, to families, their value to communities, their values to workplaces, and, and really recognizing that value, but, but making sure that, that men are taking care of themselves. So, so I know that that comment was meant with a little bit of snark and was probably very rhetorical. And so I replied to the person and I said, you know, well, what are you passionate about with International Men's Day? Can I interview you about it? Can we spotlight you with our company, you know, within our company? And, um, you know, what is it about it that, that, that you're passionate about? And, and he didn't have a response um, because I knew it was just a snarky comment. The, the thing is, is that this is, it can benefit everybody. When everybody's treated equitably and everybody gets a voice, then then everybody benefits. This is not about um, just making sure that women are put into positions of leadership or that we listen to the women at our meetings. Um, you know, this could be about the person who is shy, you know, at the end of the table. It could be about the man who who, um, because of neurodiversity works differently. And so, you know, he's in a team meeting and he doesn't, he doesn't hear, um, things the way that we do, or he has to wear noise canceling headphones or something to, to kind of help him concentrate. So it's about providing an environment for him. But if he doesn't feel comfortable speaking up and asking for these things, then he's going to go through his job every single day, a little bit less than, he would if he felt comfortable speaking up and having some accommodations made for him. So, so this can benefit everybody. Having this open dialogue, having this opportunity to, to share our perspectives and, and be our authentic selves at work, it benefits everyone. Sure. So if I'm a, a, a small to medium organization and I hadn't really sort of given a lot of thought to diversity and inclusion, but I know it's something that we need to be doing, where do we start this kind of program? So there are some things that people can start doing today. So first of all, evaluate what type of company you want. What type of culture, what type of climate inside your company do you want? Um, what do you really stand for as far as your employees and your workplace? The second part of it is, is really examining, you know, if you're a leader, examining your own perspective and then thinking about, other people's perspectives. So whether you go out and you listen, you do a listening tour, or you, you get other people's experiences, it's really a matter of just gathering as much information as you can to understand how other people feel. Um, but we have to be careful though, when you're doing that, to look outside of your specific sphere of influence because chances are the people that are around you look and act similar to you. And so we want to make sure that we're going outside of that, that circle. Um, so I think that having those conversations is, is a step in the right direction. The other part of it is, is I really want to make sure that, that we say that there are things that we can do today that will help our employees feel more valued. So for instance, when they come into the office or to the, the factory or wherever it may be, the workplace, just asking, how are you doing today? 
you know, how are you feeling? And, you know, those types of things where we're discussing more about people as humans and not just, you know, getting it right into the business part of it. Um, if somebody has a death in their family or they have a significant event in their lives, like maybe they have a child that's born, you know, asking them about, you know, their thoughts around that and acknowledging that, just acknowledging that they're humans, I think opens you up and says, I do care about you and I do care about what your perspective is. This could be for, for anybody. Um, there was, I recently was in our facility in Galway, Ireland, and they are having some, some construction in that facility. And there's a lot of loud noises that are happening there. And, um, I did hear from an employee who was, um, basically former military has, has been through several wars and hearing these loud noises, um, really can agitate him really, um, gives him some flashbacks and, and, you know, so, so again, he felt comfortable enough, you know, speaking up and saying something to me and, and sharing that part of him. Um, and, and that's what this is about. That's what inclusion is. So if you think you're not going to benefit from it or it can't help you, or you can't um, make your work life easier, then, then simply <laughs> you're wrong. I think that, that everybody, um, has a part to play in this and could benefit from it. There's probably an element within a lot of organizations, especially the smaller to medium sized organizations that can be best summed up with the notion, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, so they might be traveling along happily. They've got a team of 20 people, 30 people, 40 people. It's all going swimmingly. And they think, why do I need to change what I'm doing? We're, we're fine. We're great. Why do they need to change? Well, that's like owning a vehicle and saying, well, as long as it's running and it's getting me places, then why do I need to care about it? Why do I need to open the hood or the trunk or the boot or what do you all call it in Australia? The Like where the engine is? Oh, the, the bonnet. The yeah, bonnet. The, yeah. Okay. By opening the bonnet. Yep. And um, I... I Sorry, I'm American. That's so, all right. But opening the bonnet, you know, why even open the bonnet to see if there's any preventative, um, you know, actions we could take to keep it running efficiently, to keep it running uh, strong. And and so so that just is it seems like a flawed logic to me um, to do that. And 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 I but I understand it because it's I don't want to open it and see what other issues are under there because then it's a cost and then it's effort and maintenance and you know, it's all sorts of, of headaches and, and issues that I might need to solve. But again, it's, it's better to do that proactively than to wait until something breaks down. And, and in the workplace, that breakdown could be people leaving the company. It could be people being less productive, you know, over time, um, because they just don't care about the company. They're not loyal to the company. And so that breakdown is going to happen gradually, just like it would with an automobile. Yeah, and I think most organizations these days, it's safe to say, are starting to realize that it's a tough market to get staff. It's an employee's market at the moment. They can really pick and choose where they want to work. So I need to be doing something either to hold on to staff or to become an employer of choice to attract staff. And, and you know, the old saying that says the best time to plant a tree if you want shade is three years ago. The second best time to plant it is today. If, if I want to start a program like this, what are some of the common mistakes that you see organizations make that I need to avoid? One of the biggest mistakes I think companies should avoid is just doing this so they could check a box. 
so performative um it's really just about performance and and i think that's that's important that companies go into it with an attitude of we need to invest we need to concentrate we need to put the resources into this that are going to bring about change and and position our company for the future so i think that's the number one biggest mistake is they just do it because everybody else is doing it and because they think they should do it too um, without so, looking so deeper. I was going to say, for, so for fear of quoting Simon Sinek, it's really mm-hmm. that sort of understand your why. Why are you doing this? Absolutely. That's exactly the reason. Again, is it is it because you see, you know, is it employee retention? Um, is it because the company is 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 suffering? Um, you know, it, it, you really, or is it because we're trying to get more business? Is it because we're trying to get some boxes checked on a on a, you know, on our proposals? Um, you know, and then you need to ask yourself, you know is this the right thing to do our company you know if we want to attract talent we need to make sure that those those people we're trying to attract understand that the company does care about them and you actually have to care about the employees because there's a ton of employers out there we could all go find a different job somewhere else and and but i you know i'm loyal to my company because they have shown me that i can be my authentic self at work and that i can bring my my family photos i can bring my my weekend activity you know, and just and share it with people and, and people will be interested in it and they care about me. And so that's what that's what we're after is is really that that feeling and, and that, um, you know, that I guess that uh, that agenda. Yeah. You you said before so, something that I thought was quite interesting, which was sort of, you know, it's important to speak to other people and get different points of view around these sorts of things because we all have biases, inbuilt biases, whether we know that we've got them or not. One of the most common being, you know, unconscious bias against various different things or even blind spot biases, biases that we don't even know that we have. When I'm starting a, a, an inclusion and diversity program within the organisation, how do I start to have those conversations with people, especially if they're not the kinds of conversations that I'm traditionally used to having? Being vulnerable is a very, very easy way to start to build trust. And so... We don't do that very well as I, men, I, no. I know we don't. I know we don't do that as men very well. And But I think that if we felt like we would be accepted if we did it, we would do it more. But we just assume. So how many times have we gone to work functions and, you know, like a a happy hour or a conference or something, and there's a group of of our coworkers, let's let's say that they're men who say, well, we're going to go play golf or we're going to go drink or we're going to go to the pub or whatever. And if you're a person who doesn't golf, who doesn't drink, who doesn't go to the pub, who doesn't play athletics, you know, you're, you're going to be very uncomfortable and you're not going to feel like you can speak up and say, you know, what, I'm going to sit this one out or maybe we can go to a restaurant or, you know, something that you would like to do. Um, so we just go along with it because of the peer pressure. But if we are vulnerable and we do speak up and we have that confidence to speak up and we build that confidence to speak up, then you never know who else in that group is saying, 
you know, I really don't want to go to a pub after work today. I'm so sick of going to pubs after work. Let's find something different to do. And, and so being vulnerable, putting yourself out there, I think, um, it's not going to work 100% of the time, but at least people know you're speaking your truth and you're, you're being honest about your feelings and, and your perspectives. And I think that that's the hard part is, is really just starting to build that, that trust and, and vulnerability. Um, you know, it's, just try it and speak up and, and see what reception it's met with. Now, if it's met with negativity, then, you know, is this the right company for you? Are these the right coworkers? You know, keep doing it, keep at it until you find people where this message resonates with them and, and they appreciate that you were, you were vulnerable to them and, and you shared a part of yourself in return. They most likely will do the same to you. What if though I am a senior leader, if not the senior leader within the organization, um, I'll, I'll go back a step. In an industry like security, where whether it be electronic systems integration or you know provision of security services or whatever it may be, it's traditionally been an industry that has come from backgrounds like police, military, government, and and very sort of male dominated industries. And then again, they're not bad people. We just we tend to have rusted on principles from you know the fifties, sixties, seventies, and eighties that say things like, for example, and I apologise to anyone listening to this. I don't wish to tar you all with the same brush. I'm just using these as examples. But you know, we don't talk about our feelings. And if your family's got a problem, that stays at home with your family. When you come to work, that's work time or whatever it may be. So. How as a senior leader do I begin to break down some of those paradigms and really behave in the manner that you're talking about? Because I don't have the option of going, oh, well, if, you know, if the people that I'm working with don't respond well, then maybe this isn't the company for me. It's like I worry about my employees losing faith in me as a leader or, or perhaps changing their view of me as a leader. I think modeling the behavior is, is incredibly important. And, and I feel like that senior leaders or anybody who even manages other people are in very good positions to be able to do those, those types of modeling without repercussions. So if you're the CEO of a company and you start to ask employees that you just see in the hallway or you see, you know, on the floor um, of a production site and you just start to share with them parts of yourself and, and being vulnerable, then people will take notice. Um, I, I don't think that there is a lot of danger if you're part of senior leadership to just connecting with people on a human level. You don't have to go in and like lay on a couch and, you know, share with them, you know, for a therapy session. It's not about that. It's just about being more human with them. And I think that that's something that we can all do. So find the people that you can connect with and, and things you have in common with and, 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 you know, kind of build that community. And then from there you build out your community. There is safety in numbers. So the more people see this happening, the, the more it's going to happen. Um, and, and so I think that that's important is to really find your community, but it starts with little baby steps in, in being able to share a little bit more about yourself. So 
some people listening to this might be thinking, well, this is great. This is important. I need to do this, but I don't necessarily have the resources to go out and hire an inclusion and diversity manager or a specialist in this area. Um, I understand why I want to do it. I, I heard what you said before about the improvements in the organization and its profitability and its resources, but where would, where would I begin? How do I start to find resources that will help me as a senior leader bring this into my organization? So, so for for us at HID, what we did is we created a diversity and inclusion hub, and there, you know, I am putting articles and I'm putting some resources out there. You know, when you talk about just even any search engine, will be able to give you some some tips on on how to educate yourself and how to you know implement things in your company that are very little to no cost. Um, you know, I, I think that those are are good steps in order to to get that ball rolling. I think that it is Im- important that we educate ourselves though what are these terms you know learn more about these advocates so and then i think it's also important to start surrounding yourself with people who work in this space um you know so again i I talked about you know having your social circle it's the same people probably look like you so diversify that circle just a little bit and and get some other perspectives and ask those people to maybe um you know share their perspectives with you but also um to help teach you. Um, so it, it's not up to us to, to educate everyone else, but it is also up to you to go out and just kind of educate yourself. I think that's the very first first stop is to start educating yourself about low to no cost ways that you can, you know, things you can implement today. Yeah. Something you mentioned in your presentation uh, that you've alluded to on the podcast is that when you begin this kind of program, it's important to really listen to what the people around you have got to say and try and ask them what they think the priorities are. Now, for fear of exposing myself as someone who has serious bias in this area, how, how do we determine what are priorities that really need to be listened to as opposed to employees just providing self-serving feedback that really doesn't benefit anyone but them? You, you know, it's, it, it, I think that that's okay. I think that, I think that if, if it's just going to benefit that one person, that's still their perspective. That's still sure. their journey. That's still their, you know, experience. And so, so I think that's okay. I think that, that once you really dig in and start to have these conversations, you'll find that there are a variety of perspectives. Um, and, and so, it, but if it's, if it's just everybody's in it for themselves and that's it, um, then I think that there's a bigger culture issue <laughs> that you really yeah. need to talk about. And, and that starts with leadership that starts with the, you know, managers and supervisors. I think that once you allow people to feel like they can trust you and, um, they will open up and share their, their true thoughts on things. Um, but that relationship has to be built first. It can't just automatically happen. So, so if that is the perspective that somebody has, that it's just all about me, that's a very valid perspective. Um, let them have that, and and let's see what we can do to help them see that you know if they include other people's perspectives or or just simply listen to other people's perspectives, then then now we have a more robust um, view of of what's happening at our company and and what our company is capable of. Yep. So in, in closing, because we're coming to our time limit. If, if I want to have some of these discussions, do I need to provide a framework around how we're going to have the discussions or is providing a framework or trying to frame the discussion counterproductive? 
it depends on the team. I think if there's a team who is very, very negative and, and really needs to be kind of guided and given some of those parameters, then I think it's good to, to have some sort of norms that you get to to um, implement. Now, other parts, you know, other teams, they're just good with free-flowing conversations and, and really anything goes. But I do think there should be some norms where we say at the very beginning, we kind of set a little bit of a... Um, expectations. And, and I do this with my kids too. I mean, you know, I set expectations about, you know, what behaviors are, are appropriate, what behaviors are inappropriate. And so, so I think when we're talking about these conversations and having these conversations, it's important to say, so we're, we're here as a team. We all work well together. I want to make sure everybody's included. I want to make sure everybody's heard. And, and that's just the way we're going to do it from now on. Um, I'm the leader and, you know, whatever. The, the thing is, is that it could also just be people one-on-one, you know, a, a manager talking to one of the supervisor or one of their, their employees and say, you know, I noticed in the team meeting today that you didn't really speak up. Did you have anything to add? You know, your, your perspective is important to me. I want to make sure that everybody has a chance to say something. And just because somebody doesn't speak up in a group setting doesn't mean they have nothing to add to that group. So, so I think even just a manager recognizing how to include other people and when they're being excluded, that's, that's important. Um, I think that's going to be where you get most of the great conversations and most of the, the more um, raw perspective is when you um, kind of build that relationship and speak one-on-one to somebody yep so Aaron if people want to find out more about what you're doing at HID and how you're doing it and maybe use that to some degree as a, a guidebook for, for what they might want to start implementing in their organization. How do they find out? I think the easiest way is LinkedIn. LinkedIn is where I post a lot of um, information about HID and, and uh, people can reach out to me directly there. Um, so my name is Aaron, A-R-I-N. Last name is Lopez, L-O-P-E-Z. And uh, just look me up on LinkedIn. I'll be glad to, to chat and connect with people. All right, Aaron, thank you once again for your time. You're welcome. I appreciate it, John, and thanks for your time. And ladies and gentlemen, don't forget, if you've enjoyed this podcast, there are plenty more like this one in the ASIAL Security Insider series. You can find them on uh, Apple iTunes, Spotify, Blurberry, uh, the Google Play Store, and all the other great places that you can find amazing podcasts. And we look forward to catching you on the next episode. Have a great day.